Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new. So, uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Well, no face, Jackson Jacks. I'm Tim Owl. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures up tw- not down 23. NASDAQ Futures down 120 after a, a huge update yesterday. Do we have uh, we have Mr. Kevin? You do. How are you, bud, on this beautiful day? I'm doing okay. Hey, tell me this. Um, you know, as I listen to that intro, I always wonder, is, uh, is the name for a softball team, is Illinois Nazis too cringeworthy? Or, uh, yeah, a little too cringeworthy. Too cringeworthy. Remember when he drove o- over the uh, bridge on Kedzie and they all had to d- jump in the Marquette Park Lagoon? <laughs> yeah. I think it was a Marquette yeah, Park. That, it might have been Humboldt that was, Park. That was a fun movie. Yeah, it was. Uh, so uh, here I am just trying to be uh, um, somewhat explanatory in some of the wacky stuff I say. Uh, today, one of the headlines in the uh, on, uh, on CNBC is... Turkey's inflation soars to 73%, a 23-year high, as food and energy costs skyrocket. And here I am, Kevin, just dig back, being the old crusty monetarist that I am, to, uh, where are we, April of 2021, when the Turkish money supply is, there's so many friggin' zeros on this, I can't even go there. Anyway, 350... Of something, 350 and a bazillion zeros, whatever thing is a lira, I guess. And here we are a year later, and the money supply is like uh, close to 600 with a bazillion zeros after it. So it's up roughly uh, 70-some percent, and prices are up 70-some percent. Duh! Yeah, people are going to love that. People are going to just deal with that really, really well. There won't be any uh, discontent. There no. won't be uh, any insurrection of any kind. Uh, people will just roll with it. Well, if there's going to there's, but it's not even. Now remember, some there's some winners and losers in there someplace. Yeah, losers ain't going to take it. No, because you rest assured that if if some guy's got you know a hundred or whatever these things are from last July, he can't go into the bank and then give him another hundred extra just to keep him even. No, no, but that yeah, we are we are really staring at some bad times. <clears throat> what do you think on the jobs report? Are you taking the over or the under? They're saying about three hundred twenty-five thousand. Actually, I might be going to take the under based on ADP number this week. 
Yeah, it's always hard to say. The AP, ADP number seems to be just uh, fairly disconnected most of the time from uh, from the uh, BLS number. Um, it, so I, I, I find it hard to go by that, but I'll still take the under. Um, but here's one little shift we have in the schedule. Um, we have uh, Matt was able to get Karen uh, Norrington Reeves, who's running for Congress here, in the last half hour today. So we're going to have Carl for a half hour, and we're going to have this our big labor report on Monday because he's going to grab a half hour of of John's time. So we figured, even though we don't like to do that because that's um, that's probably the best time of the month with Carl to talk about the labor numbers. I suspect he can do the same on Monday because uh, Karen's going to be a, a real nice guest. And uh, uh, anyway, so we will, we're making that one little shift today. But um, yeah, Kevin, I, you know, the interesting part is everybody everybody says that the ADP numbers are the ones that are wrong because they they came out and said, uh, you know, when they first started that they were going to be a precursor or something of the U.S. labor numbers. They aren't. They don't adjust them. They just, just how many people got hired or fired. They, what are they, they do payrolls for, what, 35, 40% of the country. They're just giving you the number. I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, see. they are giving a number. And I, I, I didn't say it was wrong. I just said it was disconnected. <laughs> so, uh, Well, yeah, I think the, the disconnect probably comes on the other number, not, not theirs. Well, it, it may be. I mean, theirs is pretty straightforward, is how, how many people did uh, were added to ADP payrolls. <laughs> right. And, uh, and that's pretty easy. It doesn't. Excuse me. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, account for. It doesn't deal with any double counting, to my knowledge. Maybe you know it could, um, but I, I'm not aware of it dealing with uh, um, double counting. Um, so if if I go get um, a side hustle, then that'll count as uh, one more employed person when I am about as employed as I was before. Um, there was always a number that my side hustles. There's always a number that that strikes me as, uh, and I guess this is more of a Carl question, but um, when I when I there's always a story about me buying one of my trucks. Anyway, I bought this Toyota T100 down in Florida, and uh, the guy that sells it to me is this uh, gentleman of Cuban descent, nice guy, and we're sitting there, and he goes, uh, he says, well, you know, we we, we got to breakfast. My my wife wants to meet you. <laughs> What? And she goes, <clears throat> he goes, yeah, she listens to the show every day. She loves it. So anyway, dude, the guy shows me his truck. And I'm looking at the dude. Which, you know, you're not, <laughs> I don't normally look at dudes. I'm thinking, this guy, he doesn't look like a guy you'd want to mess with. He starts telling me in his free time he's like a seventh-degree black belt dude that takes kids all over uh, Europe for martial arts competitions. <laughs> at least I recognize it. <laughs> I wasn't that much of a dummy. Anyway, the, the guy, is a, he's a programmer. He says, he goes, I'll probably never have a real job. He goes, I, I go to work for Exxon for like two years and somebody else for two years. And I often wonder, Kevin, it's always been a, a, a you know, kind of a challenge of mine. There's there's somebody whose job, job it is in Washington, with all the people they have out there doing God knows what. Uh, there's somebody whose job it is to try and anticipate people that are 1099 employees it was whether they're being hired or fired. Or, in other words, if you, if you and I uh, went out and decided, hey, we're going to build five houses. My God, we got this property, and we never built houses, and we start doing it. And we we grab, you know, three three carpenters, three electricians, say twelve people that we're going to we're going to employ for the next nine months, putting up these three houses and paying them. Well, nobody really pays cash anymore, but we're going to we're going to pay them by check and just give them ten ninety nine. 
nope, nobody really knows they're working until I think they send in their income tax, right? I mean, uh, or, or they uh, uh, if, if they did quarterly withholding. Yeah, if they do quarterly withholding, and uh, so my, my my contention has always been that when the, when the economy is going good and people are adding to these 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 ancillary jobs, shall we say? Because people are reluctant to put somebody on the payroll now, and I guess it's it, well, this guy was telling me this a while ago, it's rampant in the uh, high tech area where they hire these consultants to do their their stuff yeah, all the time. A lot of people that work as contractors, and uh, and so when when things are getting are, are going better, they're actually better than the numbers tell you, and when we're slowing down, they're actually slower than the numbers tell you. Is has been my conclusion because it's, it's like once a year this group comes out and says. Oh, okay. Looks like we uh, we're revising these numbers up, down. There's all that kind, those kinds of revisions that go around in the in the in the labor numbers that we get from the government. And Carl knows more about the months that you got to watch out for the most. But uh, I don't know how they keep track of that, Kevin. I mean, I really don't. I mean, if you're not, if you're not getting a paycheck, um, I don't. Know, I mean, I I would put that right now as about neutral. I don't. I don't th- see us expanding to where a lot of people are working 1099. You know, people I think. That are now working 1099s is because a lot of firms don't want to pay the Social Security piece and they're essentially screwing their employee. Um, but uh, where, where do you gauge that? Well, first of all, you, you, they really aren't supposed to. Um, they aren't supposed to have full-time employees or 1099 employees. In other words, you know the rules on it. Um, you know, you give them a job to do, they can come and go as they please, et cetera, that, then you're okay as a 1099 employee. But you can't, uh, you can't otherwise just do it and, um, um, and, and it's a way to avoid putting you on the books. Um, so, you know, that, that's part of it. But, but okay, so, you know, we get the technicalities out of the way. Um, a measure of it, it you know what? There's there's consulting companies. Um, so it's it's one thing when when someone just is an independent contractor. It's it's Kevin's computer programming uh, uh, S corp, and uh, and you hire me as a contractor. And every time you have a job, you may tell me to go away for six months. You may call me back up, or you may just keep uh, giving me new projects. That's all cool. But where you can really tell is the companies that provide consulting services because there's a lot of people who really like you know they don't want to do the marketing um, but they uh, but they do like the variety of moving from company to company and so by signing up with a CSC or somebody like that um, you can tell it and uh, and and those companies will keep you on their payroll but the question is how how will they keep you if you're not placed you go on the bench in the bench, when you're on the bench, you can develop, you know, do some skills development. You can do things like that, but they're not going to keep you on the bench very long because they're paying you to not produce any revenue. Um, but if they, they'll keep you on the bench if they think that there will something will come up because you have in-demand skills. So, your question is: check out these consulting companies. Find out how many people are sitting on the benches right now. Is that number going up or is that going down? There's your indicator in the tech sector, in the, uh, specifically the programming and network engineering. In, uh, well, isn't that why those places uh, <clears throat> get so many big jobs is they actually have a bunch of these people, well, say people, essentially sitting on the bench. I mean, you know, my buddy John Lee has been on the show a few times, uh, 
and that's what he when he used to work for uh, Anderson Consulting, and they the big deal there was if you hired them, they get a hundred people in your place next week. Yep. Well, and a hundred people with a very specific skill, if necessary. Yeah. Well, yeah, because well, what if you have a? Well, but the people who do that job, they they just like getting deployed a lot. They, you know, they may they may enjoy getting, you know, put in, um, you know, you know, stuck in uh, Austin, Texas, for uh, six months, um, and take up the music scene while you're there, uh, and then and then you come back home. They may they may like getting deployed uh, on a project by project basis, so they don't get bored. So it's it's an it's an interesting way to make a living, but. Um, but that time on the bench can be a killer because the next thing they, uh, they, they do is if it, if it lasts too long, they're going to cut you loose. Yeah, he was saying that those guys, some of the big firms, and uh, they must well, they must charge a boatload to do that, but they have people around just doing nothing in case you need them. But, uh, I mean, they would do a, they did a project in, uh, I think it was Turkey, where they, they put all new software in for their, their, their uh, FAA for all the towers in their biggest airport or something. It was... Like a two-year deal, and uh, I mean, what what percentage of, of places leads to another question? Since you are, in the, I, if, if any firm, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about PTI because we don't really do our own software because we use a clearing firm stuff. But if we were a, a bank or somebody um, and wanted to like redo our stuff, all our websites and all our other stuff, I'm guessing that we're not we're never going to do that totally internally, are we? There's, there's always going to have to be somebody. Oh, you might. Um, it, it depends. The, the the way projects are managed in in the software development world has changed dramatically over the years, and now it's it's very common for them to use a process called Agile. Um, and and basically, all you're doing with Agile is you have a, a long term vision of what what your new website is going to look like, but you're rolling it out in like two week bites. Um, and so you you make you make some changes. You know you you have to work really, really closely with your end user base, whoever that may be. Um, you get them involved. You, uh, they put heads down. They code for a little while. They test it, and then they're ready in, in two weeks to roll out the next feature or the next small subset of features. And the beauty of it is that in, in the olden days when somebody would do a 9- or 12-month uh, software development project, um, if, if there was something you didn't like, undoing it was a real pain in the backside. But in the Agile world, if you look at it and go, no, that doesn't really do it for me, you throw it out, you've only lost two weeks of work, and you, you retrench and you start all over again. Okay. So it's, it's kind of the, it's the same theory as, um, as any uh, company that operates in a continuous improvement model in, in their manufacturing operation. Um, it's the same kind of concept. You're just constantly rolling out little bits and pieces. And any, uh, a lot of times you, you can recognize the companies that do that. For instance, if you're a Gmail, if you were a Gmail user, you would see that Google is constantly rolling out new features. There's, it's like the new feature of the week. They're just doing agile. It might go away if it doesn't go over well. Um, but, but that's how they're doing the development. And that's, when I was at Better World Books, that was our, that was our software development process. And, and so, you know, we did everything in house because uh, uh, because that uh, that agile process is what makes it work, and you don't need a ton of people to do it. You just need, you know, you, you need the patience to uh, to know that you're going to go through and whatever you know, whatever you want next, you start out with the minimum acceptable uh, um, 
system, and then you start building it out from there piece by piece, and you're doing it live, and, and you're constantly getting whatever the next most important thing is for you. Well, what Jan used to say about this stuff is that the interesting part is the, the best the best software ever ever sold has not even been developed yet. <laughs> you just sign the contract before you even start on the stuff. I mean, you have kind of a vision of what you want, especially if it's air traffic control or things like that, or some of these insurance companies. The biggest, I think, one of the biggest assignments they ever had was Transamerica. They tried to hook together everybody with their health insurance stuff, with the pharmacies and the people and the doctors and the whole bit, and how those are enormous projects, aren't they? Yeah, and you know, I my, my, my software uh, um, development days were in the 1980s, and uh, you know, as a, as a hands-on type of person, even as a as a manager who used to be able to set aside a project or two for myself, um, that was easy and short term because I wanted to keep my skills up. Um, but I, I will tell you that um, you know. It, it, in, in the older methodologies, it was like building a house. If you if you you know you, you sign your contract for the house, the architect has done uh, done the thing you know design. Um, you're ready to build, and then you start building the house, and all of a sudden you say, you know what, I would like and yeah. whatever yeah. your spec change is going to be. Those are expensive, um, and so that's that's really ultimately the point of coming up with a different methodology is to make it not so damn expensive to, to change your mind or to get a better idea. I'm going to change uh, I'm going to Paul Harvey here, page two. Uh, we have, obviously, the, the view of the economy here sw- swings by day-to-day and takes the market with it. Now, yesterday we had a massive update. Now, today we're nowhere near as, as much down as we were up yesterday. We've got the labor numbers today, obviously. Uh, and you've got everybody's opinion as to... But the, but the opinions are not... <laughs> I mean, there's, there's been years that I've, you know, been in the business where the opinion was, uh, are we going to be, you know, 2% growth or 2.2? I mean, that, that was basically the, or three. The, the, the you know, the, the, shall we say, the, the pole ends of the opinions were pretty, pretty narrow. Well, now, I mean, the pole ends are not narrow. And, and, and there's people having us, uh, in a big recession, which I sort of am, because I think individually, a huge percentage of the population is in a recession. So, if you look at the people, I think we're in a recession already. If you look at the numbers and the, and the amount of money washing around in here, and whether we're using, how much we're going to discount our, our our gross numbers by inflation numbers, and by the time the government gets done messing around with that, I mean you can whether we're in a, we could be in a growth pattern according to those guys when we're not, or or, or we are. I mean, but what what kind of uh, when you had. Everybody, I mean, if you listen to the financial press all day long, there's zero chance of a recession, even though uh, the Atlanta Fed is moving towards zero for this quarter, and last quarter was negative. Uh, all, all kinds of issues like that. We've had the, the Federal Reserve chairman go to see the president, and I, and I think that the deal they might have cut, this is, again, just off the top of my head, is that we're going to do two more rate increases, and then we're going to wait and see. We're not going to have a three-quarter point increase, you know, a month before the election and torpedo to market any more than it's already torpedoed. I think there's some kind of deal that's been cut there. I mean, I don't know what it is, I don't know, but there's a reason why... Well, oh, you're so it. cynical. I, 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 am, I, I am certain. I take the president at his word where he called the Fed chair in just to tell him that he values the independence of the Fed. Yeah, just like when... Uh, when the, how, how many lumps of sugar would you like in your team? Well, just like when the, when the president, whenever they, right or left, whenever they appoint a <clears throat> Supreme Court justice... 
and they have the like the three hour private conversation. They didn't talk about anything <clears throat> except general stuff and education and is he a good guy and will he call him as he see him? God, Kevin, you got a br- I got a bridge for you. <laughs> uh, anyway, I've done. <clears throat> I've done. Yeah, it's, it's just you know, it, it, it's all BS. The question is, is it high quality BS? I yeah. expect high quality BS. Well, I guess what I'm saying is right now we have. I mean, uh, Jamie Dimon, who I think you know talks his own game so much, somewhat came out and he said he thinks there's these massive clouds on the horizon. And now today, Elon Musk, you know, who <laughs> he's a character. I like the part where he said he could get back to work or leave. I like that part. Well, Elon Musk feels super bad about the economy. He needs to cut 10% of Tesla jobs. Well, hell, that's that's a lot of people. I mean, are, are these guys right? I mean, I I, I would say well, that I, I, I think there's a, there's a good chance they're right, but um, I, I think Musk is also getting a look at uh, um, a large technology-based organization like Twitter and saying, God, what a bloated bureaucracy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You know, and, and it, you know, that, that's part of why it's, you know, uh, as an investment, it's a sucky company unless you think he's going to be able to do um, a nice, smooth turnaround because it, it really is, uh, you know, it, 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 I think it suffers from, you know, the, the same thing that you get in a lot of entrepreneurial uh, ventures that uh, that grow up, you know, something that starts out small but it, it, it grows up. And that is that the person who the people who are involved is in the startup just don't have what it takes to successfully operate an ongoing concern, especially one that experienced rapid growth. Well, it's hard to. I mean, it's not, it's not easy... the same skill set. Yeah, it's not and, the same skill set. There are entrepreneurs out there. There are people who uh, do a lot of startups where that's all they do is it start it up, move on to the next one, start it up, and move on to the next one, and. Uh, you know that that's that's uh, real common, um, and then there, you know, of course, there are many businesses where it was someone started it and they run it for thirty or forty years. Um, those businesses are usually not gigantic corporations; they're usually more like, you know, what I see a lot uh, over here where I live. You get, you know, a small manufacturer uh, who maybe employs two hundred people or so uh, at a, at a peak and. You know, those, those kind of companies, it, it isn't unusual for the founder to do it. And sometimes they morph into real good professional management, and sometimes they don't. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, the, the skill set it would take to be at the beginnings of Twitter versus the skill set it takes to uh, operate this huge corporation that is, you know, morphed into something else is entirely different. Well, I'm going to... Without 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 doing any research, which I shouldn't do. Uh, well, I should do research before I say something. But this, I'm going to just lob this one out there. Nah, let's go with it. Yeah, the, the phenomenon, um, Kevin, the 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 person who runs the place for 40 years, the button manufacturer, whatever the hell, whatever the people are, uh, they are not into this new phenomenon where you take this company, you hype the hell out of it, and you're the you're you're basically more of a a two-bit carny huckster than you are a developer of a place. You have an idea, you get it pushed, and you and you run the stock up. You take your stock options and you cash out. So before dividend one is paid, like the guys from Palantir, you know, two point one billion dollars worth of stock has been sold. I mean, even 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 Elon Musk. Look at how many billions and billions of dollars he's taken over from a country that companies barely made a profit and never paid a dividend. 
and all of a sudden these these people get dramatic wealth in, in early on before the thing even does anything. What is their motivation to stay around? If they have that skill set, their motivation is to give it to some other schmuck and go on to the next place, right? And and, and the world continues continues to reward these people. Yeah, you know what? I I, I think yeah, there is a motivation, but the motivation to to keep it again, it, it typically goes. You know, the company is not going to grow to something outsized like that. Um, but your motivation is it's your baby, it's your dream, um, and and that's good. You know, I think I think that's you know you did that. You you know you you, uh, you know, started PTI and you've continued to run it. Um, that's that's different from uh, but but you you didn't grow it into Goldman Sachs either. You didn't even try to grow grow it into Goldman Sachs. No, never know? never really never really <laughs> never really wanted to. <laughs> no, well, I mean. Uh, we we were growing pretty fast back when uh, the trading floors were were uh, were still operative because we were we were by far the best place to to have execution in the in the OEX pit because the people in the office here had all been on the trading floor and, and they would call down to the brokers and we would we would do the order while we were on the phone in the pit. No other firm could do that. So we had we had, we had a, a our clientele was was rocketed in on us because we there was nobody like us. And all of a sudden, so when you, when you were doing that, you know, how, how much thought did you give to, um, you know, how big you wanted the business to become, or was it just uh, a matter of saying, bring it on? Yeah, uh, we just bring we'll, it on, and we'll take as much as, as as will come our way. Well, we thought we would grow with that. We got to go to break here. Can we come back? It's kind of an interesting story. Plus, I, I have a real good one for you. SP futures down twenty six, Nasdaq futures down one thirty two. Be right back, stocks and jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. 
I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello and welcome to and Jacks. I'm Tom Howard. Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures down 24 again. Where this is after a big, huge update uh, yesterday, which we'll talk about how big it was in a second. NASDAQ Futures uh, down 124, Dow down 144. Individual stocks, the Dow got Apple down 261. Apple cannot really get out of its own way. Even other stuff has been rallying. Home Depot down 2. Microsoft down 223. Microsoft pre-announced yesterday the uh, uh, guidance was going to go down, and they were down like $7 at one point. But then at the end of the day, the huge rush of money into the market usually even had Microsoft up, so they're they're down a little from that announcement, but nowhere near the seven bucks that they were they were down yesterday at one point. Uh, so really, kind of a crazy day for Microsoft because they pre-announced uh, their guidance was too high. Nikkei up three forty-seven, one point two percent. Shanghai up thirteen point four percent. Hang Seng down um, two twelve at uh, at one percent. So well, you know what? Neither Shanghai or Hang Seng were open again yesterday. Sorry, sorry on that. Uh, the only one that was open was the Nikkei. I'm reading the numbers here, but then I'm seeing the date was the day before. So they were not open. Uh, Europe, the DAX up 19.1%. FTSE down 74, and it's a full 1%. Kekaran up 3. Uh, it's flat. But don't, forget, don't forget the FTSE was closed yesterday as well, so that's a catch up there. Um, yesterday we were up 435 in the Dow. It's 1.3%. S&P up 75. It's a big number. 1.8%. And NASDAQ up 322, 2.7%. So even though we're down some here this morning, we're not down anywhere near what we were up yesterday. We were up, I mean, we're down 23, we're up 75 in the S&P. So we've given back about a third of it. Uh, bonds unchanged at 2.92. The bond up another four basis points, 1.26. I mean, they're almost, I'm not saying catching, but they're coming up pretty fast. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.24. Oil uh, down 34 cents, but still 116.53. Brent down 25 cents, 117.36. Natural gas down 2 cents, 8.46. Our Bob unchanged 4.420. So don't be thinking you're getting gas much under 5 hours anytime soon. By the way, our Bob, for those of you maybe have forgotten, is the wholesale price of unleaded gasoline in uh, New York Harbor. There you go. Gold uh, down 2.30, but a nice day up yesterday, 18.69. Silver up 18 cents, 22.46. Copper down 3 cents, 4.51. And we have Bitcoin. Down 351, back under 30,000, 29,836, where maybe Kevin's can give us a, a clue on this when we come back is, uh, they're saying all these other, uh, whatever, bitcoins, the smaller ones, how many of them are going to go out of business, but bitcoin will still be alright? I don't know how many, maybe Kevin can enlighten us how 
of that whole industry. How many of these things are there, for God's sake? What do you got for us, Trevi, Weather Sports, man? Well, definitely. It's currently 6.36 a.m. on Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Let's get you into sports real quick. NBA Finals, Game 1, Boston Celtics at Golden State Warriors. Boston wins 120-108. to 108. Uh, Both teams back again for Sunday. Game 2, 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, Central Time, our time. Uh, in hockey, Stanley Cup playoffs, West, West Finals. Last night, Edmonton Oilers versus Colorado Avalanches. Colorado wins 4-0. Both teams back again on Saturday. The MLB White Sox lose to Blue Jays three to eight, and Cubs beat Cardinals seven to five. That's all for sports. In weather, Chicago mostly sunny, sixty-one degrees, a high of eighty-two and a low of fifty-six. In Phoenix, clear skies, seventy-six degrees, a high of one hundred and two degrees. Wow, and a low of seventy-three degrees. Uh, traffic in Chicago, very light traffic eastbound on the Eisenhower between Wolf Road and Harlem Avenue. Uh, traffic w- uh, westbound the Dan Ryan between 47th Street and Randolph Street. And finally, traffic northbound in Stevenson between Route 171 and South Plasky Road. Not much for traffic. Uh, back to you, Chief. Um, Kevin, <laughs> here's, a, here's a, a quick weirdo story. One of my guys that I do some work with, um, he lives in, I don't know, some, some small town in Carolina someplace. And uh, somehow or another, the guy goes to his bank. A chase or whatever, and uh, which I've never done any banking ever. A chase that I know of, and the guy, uh, of course, he's got a little, some kind of can be scattered. He's got he's got no ID on him except his uh, passport for whatever reason. So he shows the guy a passport. Now he's trying to cash like a three thousand dollar check. And he goes, "Well, that's not good enough. You got you got anything else?" He just had been I don't know where he was, but he had his he had his PTI statement. He does he trades through us. Pulls it out of his pocket. He goes, I don't know if this is any good. It's got my address on it. There he goes, oh, I know those guys. I listened to the guy at the, at the Stacks and Jacks once in a while. Yeah, you're good. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I said, I hope the check was good, for God's sake, if, I, if I'm backing you. <laughs> think. Well, next, the next thing you got to do, Tom, is, uh, is uh, as long as you have that kind of faith and credit, um, you, you probably need to start um, you know, printing up uh, uh, Stacks and Jacks box or PTI box. Yeah. Or, uh, well, Eliani. Those can be uh, traded. Well, Eliani's thinking of coming up with a a line of uh, Stacks and Jacks concealed carry clothing. Hmm. What do you think of that? Well, you know, um, having never never met her in person, I I don't have a sense of her fashion, or I don't have an understanding of her fashion sense, so I'll take your word for it that that's a good thing. Well, you know, I'm not sure if you check the Stacks and Jacks merchandise uh, website too often, but I, wa- I was recently, and I was surprised to see a uh, Stacks and Jacks themed thong yeah. for sale. Th- yeah, well, that was a uh, buy. That was Sarah's idea when she <laughs> was here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, I don't think we've sold too many of those. I don't think we sold anything out of there. But, <laughs> but Kevin, you get back to what when when PTI started, it was a, it was, it was a uh, combination of all kinds of things. I I was doing a lot of lecturing for the CBOE. I was on the board, and uh, plus I was on the marketing committee, and and the idea was that we were we were trying to teach people about options, and and the world was different back then because people really were interested in learning about the pro- any kind of products, and your futures products were real were real busy. A lot of retail people traded corn, corn options, soybeans, especially in the Chicago area, and uh, the options product because a lot of the uh, Big firms in Silicon Valley, you know, people were giving st- uh, options to their employees. They wanted to learn about options in general, so we would we would teach a real lot, and uh, and when it got to the point where we we recognized that there was not a real not a brokerage firm that we could see that really was, you know, they they couldn't leave one of these weekly seminars. 
that some of the CBOE put on, some other people put on, uh, and go find a broker that knew as much about they now did. So we said, well, you know what, why don't we start a brokerage firm? And the floor was kind of wind, slowing down in a few of the spots, so a few of the guys that traded for me came up and were the brokers. In fact, this, we would not have been able to start. CBOE sponsored us for all our tests, because normally I mean, you, have to, you have to be a firm to take a test to start a firm. <laughs> it's, it was kind of an odd situation with the NASD. But the CBO sponsored our test, so, so a bunch of us took our tests and our principal tests and stuff, but the firm was really here like nine years before I left the floor. And, you know, the first few years we weren't all that profitable, and I kind of fed the thing from my floor trading. But our, our big shtick was that we knew we both we did futures and we did options. So half the time, half the time we were more futures-driven than we were option-driven. And uh, But we really liked our, our, our clients because we'd met just about all of them at seminars. They knew us. They would call. We knew their, their positions, helped them out, and we would and we had the best execution because we were the quickest to the floor and back. And then all of a sudden, th- that world sort of changed. People really didn't want to learn themselves. They really wanted. They weren't. They weren't going to sit there for a week and try and learn a product. And I don't know why this changed with people, but they just wanted some software package that you know went green when you're supposed to buy and red when you're going to sell. And everybody got all hung up on all these these managers that these guys that are, you know, Harry Houdini, Houdini kind of guys, which I, of course, never respected because I don't believe anybody can tell you when we're going up and when we're going down because maybe because I can't do it. I don't know. But but it, the, the business all changed, and people wanted uh, us to manage their money for them. They, you know, and some people, it's legit. Somebody had a... One, one day, uh, I, I called a guy about a rolling on a covered right, and the guy's a doctor, and he goes, I'm going to surgery. Every time you call me, Whatever you want to do, I say do. Why don't you just do it without calling me? So we started doing some discretionary stuff for people. But we don't, you know, where we, uh, if you're in a covered writing program, protected put program, we'll actually do the ex- execution of the roles and when you move from one to the other. But we're not in the in the business where if you show up with GM, then the, you know, the next day somebody says, well, we sold your GM and we bought God knows what. It's a very limited sort of a, we'll execute a plan for you. And we're now, now we're probably 85%. Where we do this, st- we do stuff for people that that are in uh, a program. Most mostly are protected index program or something. But you really don't have anywhere near the amount of people that are that are dying to trade corn or, or soybeans and really loved it. Or I mean, the OEX was the single biggest, best, compu- probably uh, retail uh, product ever. And basically, the OEX doesn't even trade anymore. People trade the spiders or they trade the e minis. But everybody wants to do it online. Everybody wants to do it. Kind of on their own, and they all they listen to TV and buy stuff. I can all, I can tell by somebody's account where the uh, I see the stocks in there. I can tell you what channel they watch. That's crazy, Kevin. That's, that's absolutely crazy. Uh, but I get I get that that would happen. Yeah. Uh, so so it sounds like then you know the way you're describing it is you, you kind of grew organically based on whatever the next opportunity that presented right. itself was. Well, the or or the doors that closed. Clearly, the OEX door closed. Uh, with, with the with electronic execution getting better and better, people doing it at home, they really didn't want to call anybody because that buddy, that guy could call the floor directly and they couldn't. And we had a, we had a massive uh, advantage when we could. I mean, if if you went to a a, a normal firm, say a Smith Barney or somebody, and you gave somebody an option order, it would it would he'd write the thing up, he'd drop it off at their internal trading thing. They might call somebody or teletype it somewhere. 
might go to a central place, and that person might send it down to the trading floor, uh, and and then uh, the runner would run it out. We could actually, we were members of the CBOE. We, we could call the broker in the pit. We would be, you know, 100 times faster than they would be at an order. We give them somebody to fill on the phone. But, it was, but, but, but Merrill Lynch was not about to let 30,000 people call the trading floor. I mean, nobody would trust anybody to do that. But we would. We had four or five people that all had been on the trading floor and knew everybody they called. So it was easy for us. But, I mean, we, we could never have become, we could never have done what we did on a large scale. Because you run out of people that you trust to do it, basically. Okay, so yeah, so you had you know you had a business model that was built on a certain way of conducting your business, yes. not just you know, and you weren't built for volume. You were just built for um, you know, if you, uh, we'll work with our clients and what they need us to do, we'll do. Yeah, basically, and, and to this day, it it, it, it kind of you constantly have to I mean reinvent yourself. I mean, we do a lot of some. Stuff we do for people who just have their things here, and we we will do the uh, whatever the program is, we'll execute for them, and they just pay by commissions. There's other people that want to give you the money, and they, they want to pay you by then because we have an investment advisor firm, Wall Street Advisors. The though those they pay by fee, and you and you manage the entire account. Well, now there's becoming a a demand for uh, totally different types of things. People that have massive hunks. Of one stock or another, it might have been taken over by somebody, or the, or the, the family got out, and it's now they're looking for people. And this is this has been the phenomenon of the last six months that we're just getting into. They're they're looking for people. They they just want to they just want to pay me, you know, or my brother or somebody, and say, look, you've been in the business twenty five years, you know more on the option side than anybody I have over here. How about just being a consultant, which is very new to us, but we're gonna we're gonna move that way if that's what if that's what people want. We'll figure out. The only problem with that is, Kevin, if, if you the, the world has figured out wrongly that nobody cares about the execution. The execution is very, very important when, in, in terms of money. I mean, we I have somebody with this one firm we do a lot of business with, uh, and he does basically all my execution for me, and because uh, you know it has it's a it's a something you have to focus on all day long. If we do, so hit man, you say. Uh, no, but I'm, no, well, sort of, but I mean, you can't just these markets are wide in a lot of these areas, and you can't just say I'll buy the offer and sell the bid. If you do, you're, you're absolutely goring yourself. So we have spread orders in sometimes twenty, twenty five of them that we're constantly moving a penny here, a penny there, and and it, it's it's a full time job to get the execution done, and you can only be in those areas. That's why I like the the, the uh, ETFs, the, like the Spiders and the Russell. You can actually do business in there. You you can't. There's, there's a million stocks where the, where the markets are you know twenty five cents at three bucks. You you can't do anything. So in order, if you just decide you're going to do market orders all over the place because you get free commission, you can bury yourself. So the the execution is still very very important, even though there's only there's only fifty of us in the industry that know that. Everybody else thinks, what's the difference? It's a big difference. You know, it's, it's like it's like every if, if you run a business, if you're an Uber driver, and every single time you go to a gas station where you're paying fifty cents more per gallon, I don't think you're gonna do as well as another Uber driver. It's very similar to that. I mean, we we want this spread at four bucks. We don't want it at four fifteen. We don't want it at four twenty. We surely don't want it at five bucks. So we constantly have spread orders in, which not many people even know how to do anymore. Most of our retail clients don't even know how to put a spread order in, but the, but they know everything, right? All right, all right, I'll take care of it. No, no, no you won't. <laughs> Yeah. Got a book that tells them what they need. Yeah, they got a book that tells. But no, it's it, it the, the business changes constantly, and, and the clients change 
constantly. I mean, what they have, a lot of concentration issues. A lot of people have uh, have grown up and made a fortune in Apple. So you get a lot of people with Apple. Uh, I Some people I'm talking to today have a real lot of Exxon. You have some families that uh, have some of the, like a REIT, where they might have sold the REIT and they have stocks in the, in the, in the new REIT. Uh, those are kind of tough to deal with. Concentration issues are real tough uh, because um, some of these stocks trend. UPS, I got a real lot of UPS for people because a lot of the employees at UPS back in the day all got UPS stock. And virtually everybody, they, they got away with it, Kevin. They had, they had their 401k was virtually all UPS stock. Now it worked out for UPS people very well because the stack has continued to perform and the company's done well. Didn't work out so well for Bear Stearns people. They had a huge concentration of Bear Stearns stack in their 401k. That didn't work out so well, you think? Um, didn't work out very well for the Exxon people either. No. Well, I mean, the, uh, but Bear Stearns, you basically, I went to a dinner with, uh, the late Jim Tyree, one of the most incredible people I've ever met. He was a, he was the head of Mesero Financial and, uh, he, uh, Terrific guy. And we went to uh, one of those economic club of Chicago dinners the day Bear Stearns went under. And he says, well, how was your day? And I said, I don't know, you know, we did all right for our clients, but it was, a, you know, the market's down like a boatload. He goes, well, I had a really bad day. because two or three of my best friends work at Bear Stearns. They just lost their job and they're in their, in their, uh, their retirement on the same day. They've been there like 40 years, and their entire retirement was gone. Same day they lost their job. I mean, it's a, that's a rough day. It is a tough day. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... I mean, if you're if you're a single, if you're a, you know if you if you just have Apple, I guess it's okay. To maybe there's a day you don't want to just have Apple, but you can't get in love with these things. You, you know, because I mean, I, there were people that were like that with Sears. How'd that work out? GM. I mean, all kinds of these places. You you can't if if for some reason you know your dad was a chairman of Exxon and and you and you have. Fifty thousand shares. Well, that's that's a good that's a good problem to have, right? But still, over a period of time, you've got to. I think you need to find a way to at least protect it, pare it down a little bit. And every time you pare it down a little bit, you get a little more, a little more. Uh, you know, maybe buy some spiders to get yourself uh, more diversified or something. Because you know, it can either be the best thing in the world for you, being concentrated, or the worst. And and, and nobody ever knows what these companies are doing. I mean, did, did you or I think that General Motors was going to wander, United Airlines was going to go under, Kmart, Sears? I mean, you would never have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed Bear Stearns, would you? I mean, why would you have? Well, you, you wouldn't until it until it, it happens. And, you know, we've had so many now that have just been overnight crashes. Um, that it, it's actually, you know, it, it is the argument for uh, for a diverse portfolio. Well, yeah, and but it and also you know, but right now or the argument for just hoarding cash, but you know, well, that's a problem because you're not every time that's not going to yeah, you're not well, you're not, you're not going to entice anybody with that. I mean, uh, and that that is right now. If you I mean you did you sort of ask me the, the the problems of the times right now that I see it the single single biggest investment problem is that is that people are out on a limb on on the stocks. It's not. That we might have stocks that are too expensive. We probably got some that are too cheap, but I'm leaning toward more that are too expensive. But the point being, if if you were 75, 70, and you had 10 million bucks, and you had three million in a in a, in a, in a bank making three and a half percent, another three million in, in long term debt that was making six or seven in really good companies, 
and you had the rest in stocks, maybe of some that are speculative, some that aren't. You're, 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 you're. Maybe I could say we should protect this stock or that stock, but really, I'm not worried about your financial health at all. But if you're 75 and you got 10 million and, and eight of it's an apple, because I love it and I'm never going to sell it because I made all this money in there. By the way, I don't have any cash, and, and, and fixed income stinks. I, under, I understand why you're doing what you're doing because there's no return on cash in a fixed income market. It's horrible. That's why I love having Dan Janitas on because he finds stuff that is, is okay to do for people even now. So you could have some in a fixed income market if you use a guy like Dan. But if you just walk in, go in there and buy treasuries or something right now, ugh. But what I'm saying is I understand why they're doing what they're doing because there's no return there. But you've, you've forced people out of their normal risk curve and when you do that you've got problems you've got i mean nancy will tell you that she's given people second mortgages to buy bitcoin people that are retired really i mean we're we're we're, we're off our we're off our perch kevin is what i'm saying at certain ages here and I'm, it's, it has me very worried well we've sort of you know i think we've built a uh, a point of view um that looks for the big kill now yeah oh yeah because uh, in large part because there is, you know, the small kills aren't there. The steady eddy stuff isn't isn't there as much, or at least it's not publicized as much. And well, you're right; that's it's one of the cool things about listening to Dan because he's he's just, you know, he's a fundamentals guy. Um, he, you know, he he talks about people who run a good business. Uh, and getting to know the management, and all you know, all of those things that uh, that he brings to the table, and I think that's it's actually pretty refreshing to hear it. Well, I mean, it's it's incredible how many conversations I have with people. Even if you, even if you go with the with the idea that the market always comes back, it always is a winner eventually. Most of those studies, I mean, the, the buy and hold theory essentially has has to do with when you bought and when you held too, right? I mean. Duh. So there's been times when it's not been a good theory, but uh, most of the studies on how good the stock market does uh, usually start the day after the 29 crash, not the day before, right? There's a reason for that. So people will say the market returns 10%. Wait a minute. There's there's chunks of years where it does and chunks of years where it doesn't. But but say it's 7.5. All right, so if I were to present to somebody, look, what I do with a protected program, Especially because you can't really afford, which you know nobody likes to hear, have a big down move because you're not going to make it back. You're not working anymore. You're not, you need to have some protection here. So, if I'm going to be buying protective puts for you and trying to cover them with selling calls, which is hard to do because of the interest rate the way it is, because low interest rates means the calls come down and the puts go up. For, again, I'm not going to go into that today, but that's the techni- te- you know the, the technicals of it. I said. So what I'm going to try and do for you is if the market does return 7.5% over the next five years, I'm going to try and get you that 7.5% if I'm really good or really lucky, maybe a little better, but I'm going to have you protected anywhere along the way. That the any given day, the most you can lose is 3% if the market drops to zero. That that's And the, the next word out of their mouth is, yeah, but I, I need 15%. And that's when if I was my smart-ass Chicago Southside self, which I am, but I've learned to tone it down, that's when I would say, well, people in hell need ice water, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, but, but, I mean, but they're serious. They're, they're not, oh, I know a guy who's done 20 for three years in a row. Give him a call. You know, what, what, what can you say, Kevin? I mean, you're just, 
I mean, we're, we're talking about craziness. I mean, uh, yes, we've had some years where the market's been up 15 to 20 percent, and those, those are the years that the, that the Federal Reserve has poured money into the system, and now look what's happened to us. I'll bet, I'll bet you the Turkish market's way up, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> Yeah, rock and roll Turkey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but it's but they're not up in terms of dollars. They're up, up in terms of the Turkish money, right? <clears throat> because if it, and dollars are not up at all. Yeah. Matter of fact, it's probably down. So it's a <clears throat> it's a strange uh, <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> it's a strange world we're in. And um, by the way, are the uh, is the finals of basketball going to be when we're having Thanksgiving dinner or what? Yeah, I think so. Well, they got one game under their belt. Um, you know, in the first week of June, so that's a good thing. Well, they waited a week to play it. Now the next game's not till Sunday? I don't think they waited a week. I think they, the last game was like Tuesday night. No, it wasn't. It was last Friday or Saturday. I was watching the triple. It might have been, might have been Sunday. It was definitely on before before Monday. They didn't wait a week. They waited four days. Okay, I'll take your word for it. Well, the, the game, you, you know... paying closer it, attention to it than I am. Well, that's well, because only uh, by virtue of being in the triple A. Well, that's why well, I stay away. That's because I know where they are because I kind of stay away from the place when there's a game. <laughs> you know, it's Although they put up with the Boston people, eh? Well, you know they're not they're they're not as bad as the as the as the Bruin group. The Bruin group will actually go in and suit up. They'll they'll pull their jerseys out of a backpack and put them on. Yeah, well, I believe it. I don't think grown men should be wearing sports jerseys. But hey, that's just me. Well, the ones, the ones, the really, really, really nice ones with the hood and everything. And, and, and it's not, by the way, for the Bruins, it's not a jersey; it's a sweater. Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, look at look at how many how many of the black. There, there was a rule. There used to be a rule. There ought to be a rule. Anyway, uh, as a bureaucrat might say, you can only you can only have what three or four jerseys that you marketed. But they they've got to be up to way more than that. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Because well, the Hawks have the, the traditional white and red, correct? Then they have the black. Then they have the the St. Patrick's Day green, and don't they have one other one? They got a throwback one too. I think they do. No, they might. I'm sure they do. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. There's 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 a white one with their really old logo on there. What? Uh, so what's the story with the Irish baseball? Are they still in or are they out? No, they're still in. But uh, um, I, I think there's a general feeling amongst Irish fans that they kind of got screwed by not getting to host this weekend. Um, so, which which actually works because I'm going to jump on a plane the, uh, tomorrow morning anyway, and not going to wouldn't be able to see them. So, um, so, so you're not going to the plane. Way, I'll be calling you from uh, Providence next week. Also, oh, the, the plane is not going in the direction of the where they're playing. No, where are they playing? Um, good question. If you give me just a second, I'll tell you. Um, are they that good? Yeah, they are that good. Cool. Very good. Well, that's cool. Um, they've they've been consistently in, uh, a top ten team all year. Well, good for them. When, when does that all end? Got the most, so they should have been able to. Uh, they should have been able to do that. So here's the schedule, baseball schedule. And let's are we going to go out? Are we going to go out to Iowa tournament. if they make it? Are we going and, to Iowa if uh, they make they it? They are playing in Statesboro, Georgia. Wow. So I don't know who the hell uh, they're playing. Texas Tech this afternoon. On the ACC network um, in Statesboro, Georgia, and now I got to do a quick search to see who the hell uh, Statesboro, Georgia is. So let's because uh, that's going to tell me some school in Georgia. But I let's see, let's 
It's got to be somebody. County seat of Bullock County, and, uh, and if I read more and go here, I don't think we're going there. Uh, economy, climate, education. Uh, I will worry about it next week, Kevin. Well, are we going to go to yeah, Iowa? Georgia Southern University is there. Are we going to go to Iowa if they're in it? Um, uh, yeah, we could do that. Supposedly next hotter. Weekend. Next weekend, uh, you know, is it next weekend? I'll probably be pretty shot, but uh, why not? All right, but we'll talk about it. SP Futures uh, down 32 now. NASDAQ Futures down 151. We'll be right back, Mr. Carl Denninger. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body, too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Round up the usual suspects. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. There's something happening here. Lord, 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 Rounding up the usual suspects and having Carl on? I think so. I think there's a definite connection. He's a suspect? And what? Carl, what are you suspected of? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, it's uh, according to according to Joe Biden. Oh God. <laughs> I am I am a I'm, I'm not a real American because I 
I'm just on the other side of his idea of what the Second Amendment means. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not so sure what the, uh, I don't know if you were listening the other day, I had a, a, a pretty interesting conversation with, um, well, I go get gas every Sunday morning early, which will be terrific this week, because normally I'm only down to like half a tank, so I put in like 10, 12 gallons up to three quarters, and I hope it's better next week. Well, this week I'm down to like a quarter tank, so I actually got to put 25 gallons in the, in the, in the suburban. I'm like, that's gonna, that's gonna leave a mark in my wallet. You know, uh, boy, I'd I'd love to cry for you, but I am right now sitting out in the Tetons, and I dragged my camper out here, and uh, I, would you like to take a guess as to what my Suburban gets when it's towing a 7x17? Um, I hope you're getting at least 10. Uh, if, If I lock the cruise at 60, I get about 11. If I actually attempt to drive at a normal speed, I get about nine. Are you a three-quarter ton or half ton guy? No, it's a half ton, and um, there's there's only a couple of times that I wish I had had the three-quarter. And and you know the <laughs> the thing is though, the three-quarter gets about twelve all the time, whether you like it or not. Yeah. The, the half ton it actually could manage to get about 17 on the highway if it doesn't have anything behind it. Well, there, well, <laughs> so. it, it, there's a big difference. Uh, a lot of it has to do with what rear end you have. Uh, well, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of it is that it's, uh, you know, it, 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 there's there's all sorts of, of tactics and things like that. I mean, one of the interesting things, I, I'm an instrumentation guy, you know, I'm a data dude, and uh, the amusing part of it is that people will tow with the tow mode on but in drive, and actually your mass airflow and therefore your fuel consumption is lower if you tow in three. Really? Yes. Well, and and that is absolutely the case for any highway speed in most trucks, regardless of the rear end that you have. It's it, it, it and and mass airflow is truth because modern engines look at the airflow that comes in and they meter the fuel to match the airflow. That's how they work. Every single engine. That's how you get the emissions numbers, and you know, and, and everything else. It's that's that's the magic of of everything built in the last you know twenty five years, right? Is that that's that's how it works? Is that you got a, a mass airflow sensor in the intake measures how much air is coming in, and that's how much fuel gets injected to burn with that air. It's, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It's an extremely simple system. It's it's complex in its execution, but in terms of how it works. And so mass airflow is truth. And if you are in one gear and you are pulling less air through the engine, your fuel mileage is higher, period. Well, I did, the my three, three-quarter ton gets about 12 or 13, and my, my uh, half ton I had before uh, was getting 16, 17 on the highway. Um, the different, yeah, the difference, that's about right. The difference uh, is totally the difference in the rear end. Well, you know what the other interesting thing is, is that is... What, what I love about this is that for years, Chevy used to pester me to, you know, my truck's an O2. It's, you know, it's almost old enough to drink now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> they keep pestering me to, you know, buy new or buy new. I look at them, at the new ones. First off, they want, you know, $80,000. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Which is insanity. And, and then the, but the other thing is, what do I actually get for the money? About another half a mile a gallon. Yeah, maybe. Well, you get, so all this, yeah. so all this wonderful, you know. Oh, we've had all these years. Da, 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 da. You ever did a 
effing thing for the thing that matters the most, which is how efficient is the vehicle in actually going down the road. And and when you get down to the end of the, the all of all of the arm waving and everything else, what it comes down to is aerodynamics. A truck is a brick, and air resistance is ninety nine percent of the game on the highway. Period. End of discussion. And there's not a thing you can do about it. So there you are. Well, for those that don't know, I keep, there's, there's an interplay between the size of the engine and the size of the, the, my current one has a 410 rear end. So it's like yeah. we're pulling stumps where the, the, the half ton had a 373. And then why you can tell is at 75 miles an hour, the half ton I would be at 1750 RPMs. This one I'm at 22 something. Right. Well, that's, but, but here's the thing. You know, I mean, I got 373 in mind, but, when you, if you're pulling something and you have it in third gear at, at 65 miles an hour, you're you're doing about 24, 2500 RPM. Right. Oh yeah. And, but the interest, but if you if you put it back in drive and let it go into fourth, your you know, your RPMs come way down, but your mass airflow actually goes up, which is counterintuitive. You'd think it's the other way around, but nope, it doesn't, and therefore your fuel mileage is worse. Well, that's it, got to be gorgeous out there this time. When does it start really getting crowded? Well, it's, I mean, it, <laughs> the, the stupid is already here. I, I'm out here because I'm running a half marathon on uh, tomorrow, so. Well, good and, luck with uh, that. We're also out here just having fun myself and my girlfriend and my daughter. She's She's got her truck out here, too, so we're uh, we're having all kinds of a good time. Well, um, I'm sorry to have to split you between today and, and Monday, but uh, I asked this lady to come in, and, and, the, and the reason why I... I a uh, was a, attracted to um, this particular lady is that cause she's a Democrat and she's come, you know in an African American district and uh, actually because of you Carl because we, I had the I had the Republican gentleman on a few weeks ago and I really liked him Keith Peacow and uh, he's an older guy he's a vet and uh, and, he, and he wants to come in but the the thing that struck me between the two of them. Even though they come from totally different walks of life and probably have different skill sets, I really feel that, that they both can talk to each other willingly and eagerly about what the other one wants and what they want and would learn. And I, I got that impression from him and her, and that's why I like them both. Even though they're totally different, you know, walks of life and, and, and probably politics, but because I I really don't I really don't care for 435 people. I just want intelligent, good people there with good ideas. And let them work out the details. If they're talking to each other, I believe they can. And that's what we don't have now. I mean, it, it is, I mean it, that's why I like them both. Well, yeah, we don't have that anymore. And it's and and the other problem that, uh, that it's been around for a long time, but it's gotten much worse in the modern era with social media and and the the news cycle being shortened to the point that everybody is after. A click, and that's all that matters. Okay, uh, truth be he double L'd. Yeah, um, is that we we no longer have the kind of deeper dives into issues and a look at facts. I mean, it's one of the things that's that's gotten recently trotted out again is uh, you know, well, we are banning AR-15s because we had an assault weapons ban before. Da da da. Well, the, the FBI themselves said it didn't do anything. That, it, that was absolutely worthless in terms of actually stopping any of these kinds of events. It did zero. Well, how does... Let me interrupt for a second. Go back to my, my conversation before we get into the gas stuff. Anyway, this policeman walks by from uh, Palos, 
and uh, we started BSing with him, and terrific guy. So we're then talking about like a half hour. And we started talking about the thing down in Texas, and I, I said, you know, I, I was stunned that my Audrey's cousin, who's now deceased, uh, had bought one of these guns. You know, he brings it in a box, he opens it up right in front of me. I was stunned, crowd, how light the damn thing was, and how easy it is would be to carry around. I, I just assumed that something of that magnitude you needed like little John on combat to carry the thing around. No, the thing can't weigh more than a couple of pounds. So, but the, no, it's, well, they're heavier than that, but but not yeah. a lot. And and the thing is, though, is that here's so here's here's the reality of it. Okay, the the original design was was commissioned because the the older weapons that were used at the time in the military, and this was you know around the time of Vietnam. Um, prior to that, the the cartridges were so much larger and heavier that the GIs ran into the problem that, well, I've, I've got a gun and I'm out of ammo. Uh, without ammunition, yeah. a gun is a club and yeah. rather useless when somebody's shooting at you. Unless you're going to ban it. So, right. So, they, so they, they, what they came up with was not so much the most lethal round that they could come up with, but something that was sufficient to disable an enemy combatant and, and was light enough that you could carry more of it. And that's why it became popular within the military. Well, as it turns out, I mean, it, you know, you don't want to get shot with anything. I'd rather be shot with one of those, though, than shot with one of the older weapons, which, by the way, are rather popular for hunting deer in that caliber, thirty out six and, and uh, three oh eight. And yet, and yet, the, the the reason that the military uses them is because I can. It, it has nothing to do with the lethality of the round. It has to do with the fact that I can put more of them into my pack and carry it. That's all. Well, this this guy was saying, and he he goes he goes. We, I actually have one. He goes yeah. in the squad car in the trunk. He goes, it's locked in a case, locked in the trunk. He goes. And right. I hope, I, he goes. I'm very well versed on it. I, I'm actually very good at it. He goes. I hope it never comes out of the trunk because it means there's a school something here. But we've I've, I've never had it. Nobody on our force has ever had to pull the thing out in Palos. And he goes. We hope we never do. He goes. You know. I'm. I'm. A, he goes. I've been a gun guy. I don't. I don't have a problem with people. He goes, but somewhere along the line, when somebody walks in at 18, buys two of these things in 300 rounds on their 18th birthday, he goes, there's got to be an adult somewhere that says, what do you need this for? <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's, there's a basic problem here that, that we're not talking about, okay? This guy didn't walk in to a gun store and say, you know, give me two of the, you know, these nice cheap light rifles and, uh, you know, and 500 rounds of ammunition. That's not what happened. The, there's the, within hours of the event occurring, there were images posted of the weapons that were recovered from the scene. That that kid had over five thousand dollars worth of guns. Those those weapons happen to be very high quality, very expensive AR-15s. Now you can buy cheap ones. Really, okay. they're nowhere near as good. They're good enough for self-defense or, or you know plinking or whatever. But that's not what he had. He had a six hundred dollar holographic sight on one of those. Really? Yeah, just a sight alone is six hundred bucks. What I recognized it? it instantly as to the brand, and and went quickly. You know, looked okay. What is the you know what's that cost nowadays? Right, wait, because wait. you know supply chain. Do, and everything do, else, right? do the dummy here a favor. Kid, do the, so so. And, and this kid supposedly works at, you know, the Burger King or Arby's or whatever. In the 18th birthday, it, it, all of a sudden. And, and by the way, no credit card records, which means you pay cash. So 
So all of a sudden, this kid this kid walks into a gun store and he's got five six thousand dollars that he puts on the table in in hundos, and he's eighteen and he works in a he, he flips burgers. You want to know what you want to know what I think is going on here, and and I can't prove it. I've got no hard evidence, but that area where this occurred is a heavy drug trafficking area coming out of Mexico. It is one of the major corridors for for cartel activity and illegal drugs coming in the United States from Mexico. And I will bet that there is a connection between that and what happened, and nobody's going to go anywhere near it, because as soon as you touch that, then the gloves come off on all of this border stuff that we don't want to have anything to do with. We don't want to solve these problems because, oh boy, if we do, then, you know, these three million people that have come across unchallenged over the last 12 months uh, since Biden was elected, oh, gee, all of a sudden that becomes a political issue and there's an election coming up. Well, I think that to the extent that the cartels, I mean, but then again, I I, I don't know, I don't know where you, real quick, for the Luddites among us, what exactly is a holographic site? So, essentially, the, what it allows you to do is shoot with both eyes open, which, if if you're not focusing on one specific thing, is extremely useful. A holographic site simply puts a what looks like a, a circle, you know, a target rectangle, okay? You look through it, and it projects that over the top. Uh, some modern cars have heads-up displays. Okay. Okay. You're driving down the road, and, and you you see through the windshield, and you also see your speed, and maybe your tachometer is you know is there in your field of vision. You don't have to look down at the gauge; it's there in the middle, and it's superimposed over what you see out the windshield. It's the same basic concept, except it's it's a weapon sight, and they're they're expensive because they typically use a low power laser which costs quite a bit of money. And then secondly, all of the mechanism inside there in order to maintain its its calibration once you sight it in is is fairly difficult to build because it has to take the recoil of the gun and not get knocked out of calibration and out of alignment. Uh, okay, the next question is going to be a lot harder. Um, we'll leave five minutes here to at least talk about the labor numbers we'll talk more about on Monday. But uh, where, I mean, I, my buddy Robert, he had moved in... Uh, and uh, my Federal Reserve friend that I've learned an awful lot from, brilliant man. Uh, he he didn't have a big truck like me. He, was, he wanted to drop off all these shelving units over at uh, the the Running Nun Sister, or whatever her name is. She was on the air a couple times. Really, they they have a mission over at the old uh, City of Angels Church, and it's in you know a crummy neighborhood. So Robert and I head over there, and we drop all this stuff off. And they the the church compound has like a private street where you can pull down there and. Actually, be pretty safe, I think. Well, on the way back, we're coming down the side street, and you could, you know, you could sort of tell it's a drug infested neighborhood. And every couple blocks, there's like somebody out in the street with like a, <laughs> with like a fluorescent colored windbreaker, and I'm going, gee, I, I wonder, I wonder who the seller is here. It's not, it's not like they're trying to hide anything, for God's sake. Well, uh, yeah. But I'm saying it, it, we're somewhere between the bowels of Mexico and these people coming across the border. And they're using submarines, they're using trucks, they're using whatever the hell they can get it to get it here. And we have these neighborhoods where, where uh, you know, Eric tells us when he was in Washington years and years ago, as soon as Crystal Meth showed up, the whole neighborhood you know became a shooting gallery, and 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 people, you know, this is this is not somebody who drinks for a while and decides not to drink as much or or marijuana, 
I mean, you're talking about a, a drug where if you're 35, your teeth are falling out of your face. I mean, it's, it's you, you don't come back from crystal meth, I don't think. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know that much about it, but... but very, it, it, very few people manage to survive it without, you know... I mean, well, Hunter Biden was you know, infamously you know, loved to smoke the stuff, so there you go. Well, but, so in other words, if, if, if we really got a hair up our ass to, to, to fix this and stop it, I don't think it's like marijuana where you just uh, make it legal, which I think that there's problems with with that because I can't drive down the street without smelling the car in front of me. So I don't know if I like driving around with everybody high, but we don't seem to want to address that either. But, but I mean, how, how where exactly would you start with the guy in the in the windbreaker? Would you start at the border? Would you start in Mexico? Would you have to be almost like a war against Pancho Villa, where it's a full full out war? Uh, what do you do in the neighborhood? You just drive the price up? Do you make things worse? I mean, I, I'm not so sure. If we got the best and brightest in a room, I don't know. I don't know that we would come up with an easy solution or any solution. Would you, Carl? Well, there isn't an easy solution, but I. But obviously, if you claim that the that the answer is throwing people in jail, and then you don't actually do it, and and you claim that the answer is to go after the supply, but then you don't actually do it because the border's wide open. Uh, you, I don't, mean, you don't you know, do it because there's plenty of evidence that over time over the last, you know, 40, 50 years, that our own government, the CIA, has been involved in more drug running than you can shake a stick at. I mean, the entire nonsense with Oliver North and all of this was to a large degree about drugs. Well, and, they, and it's a lot they, easier you know, to do that. fund revolutions. Yeah. They fund all kinds of fun things that our government would rather not talk about but we're involved in. And so, you know, there's a lot of conflict of interest that you'd have to sort out first. And I don't, I don't see any anybody in the political sphere being willing to take this on an honest level. A real lot of people here. If you've got a guy in an orange jacket on a, on a street in Chicago, it's Chicago. Everybody is 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 wetting their beak. You're not. Nobody just lets the guy do that without somebody getting paid. Somebody, somebody, somebody. I don't know if it's the alderman or the the police. Oh or yeah, yeah uh, chief. In the in the nineteen eighties, I was I was doing a, a installation in New York City, and decided to walk around uh, one evening around Central Park. And they and they used to you could buy a can of beer, but they they give it to you in a paper bag with a straw. And I asked the guy, "What the blankety blank is a straw for?" He says, "Well, you can't have an open container on the street, but if it's in a paper bag, you can't tell what it is." And, and the cops will don't care. So basically, the idea is you can drink on the street. You pop the top, you put the straw in there, you, you, you fucking peer through the straw. I mean, I mean, the most ridiculous thing you think of. But this is what I'm doing, walking around. Okay, you know, what in New York do? You know, when in Rome do as the Romans do? So I, I'm doing this, and I walk by, and and here's this dude buy some coke, buy some smoke, and he's standing right next to a cop. Yeah, it's a. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 but then every once in a while, they decide to go after somebody who must be zeroing in on somebody else's business. I, mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, a, a real good example of maybe what not to do. I mean, again, if if you stop part of it, all you do is drive the price up. You actually help. I mean, in the example, I mean, if we only have a few minutes, I'm going to flip over here before we talk a little bit about about labor. But what? It's the same thing we're doing to Putin with the oil. We've driven the price up so much that he's selling seventy percent of what he used to, and he's making more money. I mean, that's insane. 
Well, and that's it, but see, that's the thing is that as soon as you make something illegal, and and you try to you know you try to punish people that are are doing whatever, uh, you're begging for this problem, and and uh, you know all you do is drive the money. Uh, look, at, there's a huge trade in illegal cigarettes for crying out loud, and that's just about the taxes. Oh yeah. And so, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, you think about it, it is tobacco for crying out. I mean, you know, yeah, people get extraordinarily addicted to it, but the, but the fact is, it's, it's tobacco, all right? I mean, there was, you know, we, we thought we could outlaw alcohol. Well, how'd that work out? Um, so, you know, I mean, there's, it's a lot more complicated than it sounds, and it's not, I mean, and you can try to throw all the simple answers out there, and, and yeah, they're simple and they're wrong. So, well, there, there, is, there are some things. The, the labor thing, you know, I'm sure you saw the Musk the Musk announcement. You know, ten percent. Yeah. Uh, you know, whack whack. Um, here's here's the reality that you have though. Right now is is what I see everywhere is that okay, inflation's running ten. People are getting five. The you know as we've talked about it, you know, three four months sequentially now. The data says that the average American. Is getting screwed to the tune of five or six percent annualized, and this has been going on for the last couple of years. It's been going on since the COVID stuff started. Um, I have a someone who I I won't name because it'll end up outing that person uh, that just had an experience at a at a business conference where they're talking about trying to hire network engineers for fifty thousand dollars a year out of school, and and I you know you have to laugh at this. That was that was less money than I made twenty years ago with no experience. All right, twenty five twenty five years ago for crying out loud. Today, if you wanted to hire me, well, you know, bring a whole lot of money, right? Um, and and yet, and why has this happened? Well, to a large degree, it's happened because we've offshored everything, including labor. Well, then the CEO makes too the much. The cost of everything that's here, healthcare, healthcare leading that, but not certainly the only place. Largely because we do not enforce the laws against corporations go up. So, you know, the the manufacturer of a particular brand of network equipment, hey, they absolutely love the fact that their stock prices skyrocketed. Guess why? Because all of this built-in inflation and this money printing has all gone into asset prices. That's fabulous. Sure. But what hasn't kept up is what they're paying the people that work at the effing company. Except, except for the top. Except for the guy, the guys in the boardroom are making good money. Okay, they're there. They they have four yachts. The the schlub who's actually writing the code has been exported to India. And by the way, that schlub sucks. Which is why you have all this stuff that's falling over. All right, Carl, we, we got we got to continue on Monday, but enjoy yourself out there. Good luck in the half marathon or the half marathon tomorrow. Uh, come through it well, and we'll talk to you on Monday, buddy. SB Futures down 28, and SB Futures down 143. Come back, we're going to have Miss Karen Norrington Reeves, who's uh, running for the uh, Illinois, uh, not Illinois, the, the U.S. House in the 1st Congressional District. We'll be right back. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading 
ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know. All while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it is time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lord, welcome back, Stocks and Jocks. always Matt Byrne on the board. SP Futures now up 18. We've rallying back on this job report. Numbers came in at 390. Unemployment rate 3.6. This is a Kind of a big surprise to the upside here as the ADP report was 128, which is the lowest in years. Uh, so anyway, the, the, that we'll go through the household survey here with uh, with, with Karen Norrington Reeves in a second. She is uh, I think she's pretty strong on these numbers as well, maybe stronger than me, so she can help us out. Anyway, uh, we've got where are we here? Stock markets. We've got the uh, individual stocks in the Dow. We got Apple down 260 still. We've got uh, Disney down 92 cents. Nothing, nothing really major. Dow Futures still down 150, however. Over in Asia, we've got the uh, uh, Nikkei up 347, 1.3%. We've got the Shanghai up 13.4. We had Hang Seng closed, so we don't know. We don't know what they're doing. Actually, Shanghai's closed too. Nikkei's the only one that's open. I don't, I don't know why these guys were in London closed yesterday, messing me up. Uh, Dax up three. I call that flat. FTSE up down 80. 
Uh, you know, these guys, again, they're, they're closed again today. The last, last trading day was, was 6-1. I don't know what's going on in Britain, but our CAC ran up 15. It's 0.2%. Again, these, these closings, Matt, they're bugging me. Dow Jones yesterday was up 435. S&P futures up 75. NASDAQ futures, NASDAQ was up 322. Yesterday was a huge up day. Uh, that's 2.7% in the NASDAQ, so it took everything with it. Every stock was pretty much up yesterday. Uh, 10 year, 2.95, so it's inching back towards 3. Uh, the bond up 4 basis points. This has been going up every single day this week. We're up to 1.27% on the 10 year in Europe. Uh, Japan unchanged at 0.24. We've got oil up 31 cents, 117.18. Brent up 44 cents, 118.05. Natural gas up 14. 862, but down from the nine dollars it was. Our Bob up another three cents, 421. Uh, again, don't, don't be looking for gas under five hours anytime soon at the wholesale prices is, is, uh, is, is 421. We've got gold down 360 at 1867. Silver up 12 cents, 2240. Copper down a penny at 453. And we've got Bitcoin down 417 at 29,770. What do you got for us? Traffic weather sports. Good Cubs, bad socks, nice weather. Oh yeah, socks. Socks are doing pretty good. I'll get you in a hot, uh, 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 baseball real quick. Uh, 7:33 a.m. on Friday, June 3rd, 2022. Uh, in uh, baseball, real quick, White Sox lose the Blue Jays 3 to 8, and Cubs beat Cardinals 7 to 5. In hockey, Stanley Cup playoffs, West Finals. Uh, last night, Edmonton Oilers versus Colorado Avalanches. Colorado wins 4 to 0. Both teams back on Saturday. Uh, NBA Finals Game One, Boston Celtics at Golden State Warriors. Boston win 120 to 108. On Sunday, uh, both teams will be back again for Game Two at 7. 7 p.m. Central Time. Now to weather in Chicago. Uh, currently in Chicago, mostly sunny, 64 degrees, a high of 82, and a low of 56. In Phoenix, clear skies, 76, 76 degrees, a high of 102 degrees, and a low of 73. Now to traffic in Chicago. Uh, traffic eastbound the Eisenhower between Wedgwood Drive and Damon Avenue. Uh, traffic eastbound the Kennedy between Cumberland Avenue and Armitage Avenue. And traffic westbound uh, on the Kennedy between West Montrose and Harlem Avenue. Traffic east, uh, westbound on the Dan Ryan between West Garfield Boulevard all the way to downtown. Traffic northbound in Stevenson between Route 171 and South Kedzie Avenue. And finally, traffic northbound Lakeshore between East 18th Drive and East Jackson Drive. That's all we got, Chief. Back to you. Do we have Miss Miss Karen Norrington-Reeves? Hi there. Good morning. Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Thank you for getting up at this ungodly hour and coming on the show with us. <laughs> I am up every day at this ungodly hour putting a kid on the bus. Oh, God. you. Uh, I was... Uh, we we met. I don't, I'm sure. I don't know if you would remember me if you saw me, but we met at uh, Domingo Vargas's. Uh, oh yes, yes. And it was a, uh, and I was. Uh, I don't impress easily, but I was very impressed. So I said, you know, we have to get this lady on. And I'm a, I'm very forthright. You know, we had. Uh, uh, I don't know if you, I don't know if you know the gentleman uh, Keith Peacow from Orland, who's running for uh, the district yes, out there. Yeah, he's running for, for Congress also. I think he's the mayor there. Yeah. Yeah, and I was. Uh, I was his. Emphasis. I'm going to let you talk about yourself here in a second. His emphasis is a lot different than yours. Comes from a kind of a different background. Uh, mm-hmm. But what I was impressed about by both him and you is I got the feeling that the combined skill set is huge, and I think you guys could find a way to talk to each other, which is not what you're seeing now. I mean, you impressed me as somebody who would not be afraid to talk to somebody, quote, on the other side of the aisle. You have a, a skill set that was obvious. Uh, and probably some skills that we'll talk about the numbers here in the labor in a minute, some skill sets that aren't so obvious. And I just, I got the feeling that you are both the kind of people that we need here to, to solve the stuff. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and how you got into this 17 
person fight you're in. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you and your listeners this morning. And thanks for your kind words about my record and just and, and character. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more that I am the kind of person that can reach across the aisle and work with anyone. Um, and I really had an opportunity to learn that throughout my career. I began my career 30 years ago as an elementary school teacher in uh, the public school system in Compton Unified School District in Compton, California, where I was part of the Teach for America Teaching Corps, which had just launched the year before. Um, But but getting to your point about uh, reaching across the aisle, you know, I, um, I, I did my two years of teaching commensurate with the program and really just had a, a fantastic experience. But what I saw was um, all of the system, systemic challenges that people face. I saw my families working in poverty wage jobs. They worked in balloon factories um, and did a lot of menial work and just, you know, scraped by. But there was a lot of love for their children, and they just wanted their kids to succeed. And I saw a school system that failed them. And I saw a lot of other indignities. And I decided that when I went to law school that I would focus my career on trying to break down some of those barriers. Um, One of the things that I saw in law school, I had an internship at the Federal Public Defender's Office. And then after a semester, I switched over to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And I watched how those folks who were on opposite, uh, opposite sides of the law right, uh, in, in all their cases, they were opponents in the courtroom, but they were colleagues outside of the courtroom. And what they recognized was that sometimes the facts would be on one person's side and sometimes the facts would be on the other person's side. And that what mattered was the relationship and what mattered was that they zealously defended their case every time they showed up, but that there was a bigger relationship that survived a case and whether someone won or lost the case. And I think that's true in Congress, right? That regardless of what side you're on, sometimes policy or public uh, sentiment is going to go your way. But at the end of the day, we all need to be focused on what is best for the country. What? Um, how did you decide to make this decision? I mean, you, you still have uh, somebody you're putting on the bus. How, how the hell are you going to live in Washington half a year? Basically, <laughs> listen. I have uh, a huge village of support. I've got a 17 year old who uh, is a rising senior. So uh, next year he'll be selecting college and uh, you know starting the new phase of his life. And I do have a 10 year old child with disabilities. I don't think that that disqualifies me for Congress. If anything, I think it makes me a stronger candidate because of my lived experience in fighting and advocating for people with disabilities and in being a mom. Uh, I will say that what we know is that when women win, everybody wins because we bring everyone along with us and we're focused on equity. Um, and so, you know, I will survive in Congress and, I, and, and my village will step up and, and will uh, support me and, and my daughter and we will be okay. I wasn't accusing uh, you of not being able to pull it off. I was just saying it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult for a guy with a family to live somewhere else, you know, uh, half the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, but you know, we'll 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 work it out. We're gonna cross that bridge and we get to it. Right now, right. we need to win an election. Yeah, in four how you how you doing on that? I, I've got you. Uh, does anybody even have anything remotely like a poll or how do you think you're doing? How can yeah, we help? so you know, many of the candidates have individually done polls, and I believe uh, Jackie Collins released one a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, at the end of the day, the bottom line is it's up for grabs. Uh, I certainly am amongst the top contenders. I am among the top fundraisers. Um, I have the endorsement of the incumbent, uh, Congressman Bobby Rush, and that certainly carries weight. I have the support of current and former members of Congress and, you know, a groundswell of support within various communities, from um, the Hispanic community to uh, the Arab American community, to uh, support amongst women, workforce development leaders, and professionals within the city uh, and the business community. So, uh, and labor leaders have been endorsed by IBEW Local 134, as well as Operating Engineers Local 150. So, I enjoy you know a broad swath of support. Um, but this is crunch time. What the, when you at the the little shindig we were we were together? Uh, a lot yeah. of that a lot of that group was Hispanic and. Uh, Seemed mm-hmm. like there was quite uh, the support there. Where, how did that come from? Was that because of, I mean, Domingo helping out, or just? I mean, obviously your personality carries the room, or, or else you I wouldn't have you on the show. But it, I mean, I mean, it's it, uh, is it is it just people have the same issues pretty much across the board, right? So, so I think people, you know, we're we're human. We all have the same issues for the most part. Um, but the other piece is, you know, I'm the only Spanish speaker in this race. Uh, I majored in Spanish language and literature in college. I taught in a bilingual environment where I was teaching my Spanish-speaking children to read and write in their native language so that they could bridge to English. Uh, I taught English as a second language to their parents. Um, and so I have, you know, a connection to the Hispanic community. Also, in my work as the founder and CEO of the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership, where I led workforce development for the city of Chicago and Cook County, uh, I helped put over 100,000 people to work. Well, 83% of the folks that we served were black and brown. And so I've got relationships within uh, the Hispanic community and African-American community as well, um, and, and, you know, suburban Cook County as well, uh, because of the work that I've led around economic development, job creation, and uh, workforce development, job training, and placement. If you could ex- expand on that a little bit, because we, we talk on the show a real lot about the amount of people um, downtown here. I mean, the amount of homeless people, north side, south side, all over the damn place. And, yeah. and uh, actually, we had um, one of my psychologist buddies from college <laughs> way back when. <laughs> there was a there was a college when I was young. Uh, the uh, <laughs> is as to what how how quickly. When you don't have a job and you're basically under the bridge, how quickly the degradation happens, and how and what it would take for like one of those people to all of a sudden go to work eight hours tomorrow to shower up and clean up and go, and it, it's it's a it's a it's not something you can, especially if you, if the drugs have entered the picture, it's a process. Uh, now it sounds like what age group on the job stuff were you folks it was the younger people a lot of these people are older a lot of them actually a lot of them are you know in their 30s they're, they're, they're prime time and uh, what what was a success how did you succeed at what you did what was the age group and what was the key to make it work so uh, I was responsible for administering 
the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, which is the federal structure that we have in this country for job development, job creation, partnering with employers. Um, it, it is a $17 billion, there's a billion with a B, $17 billion uh, portion of the U.S. Department of Labor. It uh, falls under the Employment and Training Administration. And so uh, there's a formula that's used to distribute funds to various states, and then the state distributes those dollars to the counties. And so I was responsible for that program within uh, Chicago and Cook County. Uh, it was a scandal-plagued program back in uh, 2010 when I was asked to take it over. At the county level, they had not given funds properly. They had not distributed dollars to community-based organizations. The uh, American Job Centers didn't operate in the way that they should have. So I was asked by President Preckwinkle and Mayor Emanuel to take over the system. We took it out of government, stood up the Chicago Cook Workforce Partnership, which is a nonprofit organization, and grew it to the largest workforce development system in the nation. And we did that not only by utilizing the federal monies, but also by bringing in corporate and philanthropic dollars. And so we served folks from the ages of 16 until they didn't want to work anymore. So we worked with AARP, ran a program for them. So for folks over 50 who wanted to get back into the workplace or needed to retool their, their skills, we worked with low-income folks. We worked with, worked with people who um, had been employed for a long time but wound up losing their jobs, uh, you know, through downsizing or, you know, companies uh, closing, closing up shops. And so we really were responsible for meeting people wherever they were on the spectrum of job preparedness. Well, I mean, do you have, were there locations that people come in the door? Was there some kind of training? Did you work with the, the schools, the, the junior colleges? I mean, who, who's all involved in this? Taking yeah, somebody so from walking? Right. The, the answer to that is yes. Every single, every single thing you named. Uh, so basically, we had high volume uh, what are called American Job Centers. That's the federal nomenclature. Um, and so we had 10 uh, workforce centers, American Job Centers, uh, five in the city of Chicago, five in Cook County. And then we had eight satellite locations uh, throughout the city and the county. And then last year, I created the ninth, which is at uh, the Chatham Education and Workforce Center, where I actually got uh, $3.5 million in private and corporate funds to stand up a new education and workforce center. It's 11,000 square feet, two stories, and uh, serves people uh, on the south side of Chicago. Um, and it has a maker lab, and we do all sorts of job training. So our funding could be used to um, support people who might have some challenges and barriers to employment, could be used to uh, help people go through training. Uh, we also partnered with a lot of different organizations, um, we subgranted funds to community-based organizations performing workforce development services. We actually funded roughly 100 community-based organizations within this region, and then also partnered with the community colleges, uh, as well as four-year universities, and um, different corporations as well. Yeah, the reason why I ask is if we try and connect all the all the guests on, 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 the, or on the show, and the gentleman was on the first hour 
he's involved. He's a well, I guess he's a dean. Can you be a dean at a junior college at Ivy Tech in Indiana? And they, mm-hmm. oh yeah, and they uh, have a real strong because that area is becoming this uh, trucking and whatever supply chain sort of area. They really zero in on training for people in those warehousing and those kinds of areas. To where the guy who's making fifteen when he comes out of there is making twenty two or twenty three. Exactly. Now, but what do you? Exactly. What, how do you tie together? What if somebody has no place to live? I mean, <laughs> while while they're being trained, I mean, I mean, it seems like every person has their own individual story, and you need to be connected everywhere. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a challenge. I mean, that's part of why you use the community based organizations because they're also boots on the ground and have connections uh, to the community levers. Uh, but similar to, you know, Ivy Tech certainly works with their local workforce board. Uh, and similarly, we would partner with, you know, Daily College. Or I'll give you one really great example. During the pandemic, we partnered, well, we set up the Chicago COVID Contact Tracing Corps. And at its height, we helped to facilitate the hiring of over 750 contact tracers. Well, we had to make sure all those folks were trained. And so we put them through seven different training programs uh, over the course of time, obviously. But they started with a training program at Malcolm X College uh, that was specifically created for contact tracing. We then partnered with Sinai Urban Health Institute, partnered with um, NORC at University of Chicago, as well as UIC. So you layer in all of those relationships, but then ultimately... What you want is for those folks to go into permanent job placement. And so we facilitated a hiring event that got those people access to permanent jobs within the healthcare sector. So it's really about that continuum and closing the loop and making sure you're connected to partners at every level from the community through to the, the private sector. Karen, how do you, how you, how can you, it seems like, well, I, that, I mean, obviously that, that's what struck me as being your, your skill set when I heard you speak down in Blue Island, and uh, you know one of them, not just not the only thing you can do, but the uh, I, how, how do you combat the idea that a lot of the business that's in Indiana now used to be ours? I mean, uh, these massive transportation hubs in Joliet used to be here. How do, how do we? Yeah. How do we? I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, your neighborhood is, is degraded over the last fifteen years, uh, and, and I mean you're telling the truth. Uh, how do we get? Chicago back on the idea that if somebody's going to build a factory, they just might build it here. For God's sake, we got rail, we got empty factories. How, how do we turn that, I mean, this, without going into names, who's mayor, who's this and that, and whatever the hell everybody is, the simple fact is, it's not happening. How, how, how do we, I mean, other states are buying people and whatever, but Chicago used to be a place where people wanted to be here, and, and now it just isn't. And I don't, I mean, at the end of the day, if you train everybody like you're doing, they got to have somewhere to work. And I, how do we how do yeah. we get the bus turned around here? Yeah, so we, you know, back in, honestly, when I started this work 15 years ago, the model was train and pray. Train them up and pray they get a job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was awful. It just, it wasn't tied to demand. And so the training that we do nowadays is demand-driven. So we work with the employers, find out what it is they need, and then help them prepare their labor force for tomorrow. And so there are a lot of companies that want to be here. You look at Discover. Discover created a customer care center here in the Chatham community. They're going to employ a 1,000 people when they finish ramping up. And so they made a conscious choice 
to come to community, to invest in community. They are going to stimulate economic development. They are stimulating utilization of the commercial corridor. They are hiring local. And so those folks that they're hiring bring that income. They're going to invest that income back into the community. And so there are some, I, I think there are brilliant examples of what you just described actually happening. Amazon's got four, four distribution centers within the south suburbs. And so that's stimulating the local economy. But they're not. Um, there's they, there's they're, of adding. Go it's, ahead. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a huge plus. I mean, there's a big Walmart where the Pullman site used to be, but the people in Walmart don't make the same kind of money that I made at Pullman. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, we, right, that's true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I, I I agree with you. I just I just hope that we can do it fast enough because there's a, there's a drain and there's a pour in. I don't know which is worse at this. Which is faster? Do you? Yeah, I, you know I I don't really I don't have a sense of that. And here's why. You know when you look at the labor numbers, um, everybody a year ago everybody was talking about the Great Resignation, and I didn't buy into that philosophy. I actually did an op-ed piece last year on the Great Reset. Um, because from my perspective, it wasn't just that everybody was quitting their jobs for the sake of quitting. People wanted a better quality of life. And so I think there is an onus on employers on the private sector to make sure that they are seeing people from a holistic perspective. We are not just widget makers. We have full lives, just as I had mentioned at the top of the, the show. You know, I've got a kid. I've got to get on the bus in the morning. And so... We have to recognize that this pandemic has laid bare the fact that people are juggling a lot of priorities to be able to work, and they made the decision in the context of the pandemic, do I have to live to work or am I working to live, right? Well, it's, and so it has changed. employers have to recognize that and make some changes in their culture and, frankly, in the wages. And even we're seeing despite the fact that there are all these bonuses and incentives, the actual, the real wage is still down because of inflation. So there's a lot of opportunity here for reset on both sides. I can't tell you whether it's the drain or the poor because the reality is the labor numbers don't tell you the full story. No, and I... They never have. And, what, and, and I think for people like you, and to a certain extent, that I try a little bit, People, all we can do is try. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. I mean you, can just, you, just, you just push as hard as you can, and you hope the numbers come out your way. Uh, hey, real quick question on the uh, the redistricting. Your district looks a hell of a lot different than it did a year ago. Is it is that a plus or a minus for you? Well, for me, it's a plus. Um, you know, I so about 50,000 people got added to the district. Um, many of them are, you know, white suburban. Uh, the district still barely is majority African-American. That is the way it was originally constructed in accordance with the Voting Rights Act. It was constructed as a majority uh, black district. It is a majority minority district. That continues to be the case. Um, but, you know, the, the district is very, very diverse, not just from a, a racial perspective, but it's urban, suburban, uh, rural, and I think that adds to the quality of life. I think it adds to um, the diverse experiences. And for me, it's a, it's a plus. I don't, I don't see it as a negative. Now, it is oddly 
constructed. It's oddly drawn when you you know look at a map of it. I'm glad you said um, it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen, I I've talked to people. I talked to a gentleman in uh, in Orland, and you know he damn near cursed me out because he was just so angry that he had been drawn into the first district. Well, the um, I know Keith Peacock. When I, I looked at the old map. And I said, why, mm-hmm. is, why is the guy even running? Orland's not even in the district. Well, it turns out the new district, Orland's right in the middle of it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. Well, they shrunk, um, uh, they shrunk your south side Chicago area a little bit, didn't they? Just a little bit. Okay, I mean, so just, okay. just a little bit. You know, it's not, it's not as if they abandoned the south side of Chicago in the, new, in the new map. They definitely shrunk a little bit, and it grew more in the suburban area. Okay, I, I saw the suburban. You're, you're, you're out in uh, the farm country a little bit. Absolutely. I was actually down there over the weekend. I uh, went to the rodeo in Pembroke, which is in Kankakee County. Now, to be fair, Pembroke is actually in Robin Kelly's district, in the second district. Um, but, you know, I have family um, down there, and uh, it's it their annual tradition to be a part of the rodeo. So it was it was cool to go down. Um, I've been in Kankakee, met with the Kankakee Democratic Party as well. So, um, yeah, we go down to to the rural area, and then all the way over to Shanahan and Adam Kinzinger territory. That's uh, wh- how do you how do you change your speech? It, the, the, it's got to be a massive difference between those guys and the people in Chatham, for God's sake. It, it is a very different discussion, um, but luckily, I have a, you know a depth and a breadth of policy experience from public education to public health law to public utility regulation and consumer protection, and then workforce development and economic development. And so um, I am able to be conversant in a variety of areas that matter to folks within the district. And it's not, uh, you know, this is this is my lived experience and it's my professional experience. And it just requires me to pivot um, and really address and speak to the issues that matter most to those particular constituents. We have a couple of minutes, uh, Karen. I... My main question, which I probably should have asked before this, let's let's say you win. I'm pu- I'm pulling for you. I want you there. Uh, not, that, I guess I could join the district and be Chicago, vote early, vote often, but I, but I probably won't. Ah, don't say that. This <laughs> <laughs> is when I was young, not anymore. Okay. The uh, anyway, the uh, so you get in. What do you do in your first term? I, I, you don't seem to strike me as the personality of sitting at the end of the bench Tim telling you how to vote for two years and not saying a word. That doesn't seem to be you, nor would anybody want it to be. Thank you. I'm so glad you recognize that. I will say, you know, I am not a go-along-to-get-along Democrat or go-along-to-get-along anything. And so um, there, there's some priorities. Listen, I can tell you the first ten things I want to I focus on. Um, I want to be a part of the Education and Labor Committee I actually was in D.C. a couple of weeks ago and uh, had an opportunity to meet the Assistant Speaker of the House, Catherine Clark. Uh, she's out of um, Massachusetts. And she said to me, please tell me you want to be on education and labor. And I said, all day, every day. And the first priority is the reauthorization of the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. As I mentioned, it is the structure by which job training, workforce development, all of that work gets done. And it is up for reauthorization. And so I want to be a part of making sure that that act helps us provide for career exploration and career exposure to our young people earlier than what is being done now in our schools. I want to make sure that we've got clear pathways to apprenticeships and that 
folks understand there's many different ways, many different paths to the middle class. Um, I want to focus on codifying Roe v. Wade. Uh, I think it is an important health care right. Um, I think we get mired in the, the concept of abortion and, and religion. Um, I, I want women to have the right to control and choose health care and, and have control over their sexual health as well. What do you say we have you? We have, to, we have to dash. What do you say we have you back on after you win this primary? Because then, when you're going for the gusto, because uh, I'd love to see you there fighting with these people. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't make well, you. I'd love to see me there too. I hope to not have to fight all the time. Well, you know, we have no problem with fighting for us. You know, you know, we, that's what we do. We're kind of we're kind of like people. We we we, we fight against the the, the, bad, the hard stuff all the time and. Sometimes we win, sometimes we don't, but we never stop trying, right? Um, anyway, we're going to tweet out stuff for you. I don't know how many of the listeners live in your district, but I sure as hell hope that everybody gets out and votes. And uh, this lady's the real deal. And thank you for coming on. And when you win, we'll have you back on again, if you wouldn't mind. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You have a great day. All right, take care of yourself. We'll talk about the labor numbers with Carl on Monday. By the way, it was a really good report. We got a bunch of people came out of the... We don't know what they do column, which is what I've been looking for. So we've had that happen. It was a pretty good report back on Monday, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. Hundred and six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.